everybody. With that music's getting louder and louder, but <laughs> <laughs> we're rocking out. Um, my name is Andy Bernstein, and you are listening to and watching The Map, the Mental Health and Addiction Podcast. It's a weekly podcast about having open and honest discussions around mental health and addiction, which obviously is a very important topic right now that currently affects one in five Americans. And joining us, as always, is our um, esteemed co-host, the one and only Willie Drinkwater. And Kristen Perry Long is not with us today. She is on assignment. So it's Willie and I holding down the reins here. Willie, who are you? Tell, who am tell, I and who am I and what am I doing here? Some existential questions. This that's right. That's right. Um, I am a uh, I am a person in long term recovery of my own, but uh, I'm an educator for UMass Boston and the Addiction Counseling Education Program. I also have a private private practice uh, where I see people with addiction with co-occurring disorders with with mental health d- disorders and uh, 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 co-occurring dual diagnosis is the expectation and addiction, not the exception. So we need to look at the whole mental picture when we're working with with people. So. There, there you go. And you um, also come from the world of comedy, yes. where you've kind of were in the rock with the Rock of Boston, WBC, WBCN, WBCN, the Rock, one hundred four point one FM. And you transferred, so um, you know, you have to have a great. sense of humor. Got to have a sense of humor and addiction and mental especially, health, especially right now, right? Oh yeah, well yeah, especially now with the politics going on and COVID, and uh, people are really stressing out. Yeah, for sure, and we'll 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 talk more about that in a second, but uh, we have to. V- salute and thank our veterans today with it being veterans day and thought it would be appropriate before we get to our guest well let me tell you who i am first Uh, my name is andy bernstein i have worked in media and broadcasting for over 25 years i created a recent radio show with former hockey player kevin stevens and i've become very passionate about this this field and um trying to use whatever uh knowledge that i've had in the broadcast industry to try to spread the word and end the stigma around addiction and bring it to light. So, um, so that's me. Um, but as far as back to veterans day, did you know that many of our veterans are actually struggling greatly with PTSD and other mental health issues? And absolutely. Yeah, it's crazy. And as a matter of fact, a recent report, um, actually came out in 17, which is the latest data says that 17 veterans a day commit suicide. Yeah. And their factors include economic disparity, homelessness, service connection, um, finding, um, you know, their disability status. And so, you know, I thought it would be important to let people know that um, there are resources out there. And um, as a matter of fact, in Providence, there is a um, they're doing a program and there's other programs obviously around the country and you can um, visit the VA website um, which is um, we'll have to get that website to you before the end of the show but there is a website where you can get a lot of resources and information about mental health and so um, you know just throwing that out there what do you think Will? Yeah, I mean, also like 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 uh, a person like like uh, Lisa Najavitz, who's who's down at McLean's, who does research there. She also is over at Harvard Medical School. Uh, with Lisa Najavitz, has been been doing a long-term longitudinal study of Gulf War vets. Uh, also, Depression Bipolar Support Alliance down at McLean's, which is uh, prior to COVID, the meetings were on Wednesday nights. They're virtual now, but Lisa had had begun within DBSA a veterans group too. So yeah, um, added resource. 
Yeah, it's it's really important. So if you are a fam, you know, you personally or a loved one needs support, you can visit um, the va.gov. Um, it's the website is up there, and you can kind of look up information and resources. Um, so it's a pretty alarming statistic, and I don't know if it, a lot of people know about it. So um, you know, these guys are fighting for us, and so um, you know, that's the least we can do is give more information about how we can help so um having said that let's go let's go across the pond and meet our special guest today her name is juliana weeder she is an award-winning complimentary therapist indian head massage specialist she's an author teacher trainer public speaker fundraiser story massage instructor and yoga practitioner she is also the founder of rainbow kids touch therapy and relaxation which has been recognized as a learning destination by the Children's in Uni- Children's University. So, welcome to the show, Juliana. Welcome in. Juliana, your sound is muted. Unmute. There we go. Can you hear me yeah. now? There we go. Yeah. Yes, we can now. Yes. Technical. <laughs> uh, so, where are you, Juliana? You're in North London. I'm- I'm in, I live on a, in a place called Exmoor in the southwest of England. It's a beautiful, wild place. Near Gorgeous. Midsummer? Near Midsummer? No, no, we're in autumn. My favorite. Okay. So it's okay. absolutely ablaze with so many colors. It's, it just fills me up. It's just beautiful. That's awesome. Uh, and it's amazing that we can actually talk to someone from London via video conference. That's how far we've. Isn't it? I know, it's amazing. It is. I was saying to William yesterday, it's so funny, the flip side of everything locking down, you know, because of COVID, the world shut down. But in many ways, it's all opened up in ways like this. And yeah. we're all reaching out to each other. And it really does feel like a global community. Mm. Totally. And, it, and, it, and it, you know, so uh, I think that's interesting in the way you choose to look at this whole thing. It's like, is it... Is it a uh, a bad thing, or can we make light of, you know, what's available right now? Given can we take the positives out of it? Right, the circumstances yeah. and finding yeah. a silver lining. So I'm going to let Willie, because you guys know each other, yeah. And uh, I'm new. I'm the new kid on the block. I'm going to let Willie take over and talk to you about um, kind of the work you're doing and um, the different practices that you have put together. So Thank Willie. You. Thank you so much for having me on your show. I'm absolutely thrilled. Oh, it's a pleasure. Uh, with with, with, uh, Juliana, with uh, Juliana and I first connected on LinkedIn. And what, what I didn't let her know is I actually had a sister who passed away several years ago, but my sister was special needs. So I've always, I always have an eye open when I see things on LinkedIn pertaining to special needs. And as I was going through what uh, Juliana was presenting on LinkedIn, I, I was thinking to myself, you know, th- Everything she's presenting is not only not only for people with special needs, but people across the board. So, uh, you know, I became fascinated by it. She has a great YouTube channel, too. Sometimes I go there and I'll just tune in because just just watching the YouTube brings me down and calms me down and stuff. So it's really interesting. But I wanted I wanted to have her on. You know, I'm going to do a little product placement while we're talking and stuff. Oh, uh, (laughs) lovely. You don't have to do that. No, no. But uh, but yeah. So so, you know, we we, we'd like to learn more about what you're doing, you know, over there and stuff. And, uh, you know, eventually when you come over here, when COVID is through, we'll uh, get your we'll get your 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 various techniques going over here so it'd be that great. would be but, wonderful 
but uh, tell us about your background and, you know, how you got started with everything and where you're at oh at the present. Goodness. Yeah, well, that's a very interesting story. Um, well, my background, goodness me. Well, I, I studied at university. I studied, I got French and history degree. French because I love talking and communicating in other cultures. <laughs> and history because I've always seen history as high story. And what I was interested in was that, that human spirit and the things we come through. And I've thought a lot about that during these times of COVID, actually. But it was like studying psychology, but having the stories, the colour, the people. So that's why I was drawn to that. And that thread has followed through. I've also always written since I was nine years old. So again, that's followed me through my life. All these, all these little pieces of the jigsaw come together. Anyway, after I graduated for a really, really brief period, about a year, I worked on magazines, Vogue and um, Brides, World of Interiors, and I loved it because I wanted to write. So, but actually I wasn't writing for them at that point. I was a tiny cog in the wheel. I was just on the advertising, but I was hoping in my dreams I could make the leap over to editorial. So I'd barge in on all their meetings <laughs> and come up with ideas and, you know, so that's always stayed with me. Anyway, to cut a very long story short, I've got I've got four children. Actually, I've got millions now, but four <laughs> biological children. And my second son was born with autism. And he's also got other gifts, you know, he's amazing at writing. He he's just so connected to nature. He's got the most wonderful 3D way of seeing the world. And he has been, all my children are my teachers, but my journey with Ollie was was particularly eye-opening because I was learning as I went you know he's 23 now so 23 years ago I mean I didn't even I'd never even heard of autism and I know that sounds really ignorant but I hadn't but I knew my little boy was different from the minute he was born I could feel it when he was in the womb don't ask me how mother's instinct but it was very obvious from the minute he was born that he he was very very different he was in total overwhelm with lights sounds just everything it, it it was a real sensory overload uh -huh. um he he went through school but he was he was very tall for his age he still is he's six foot four now i don't know how i managed it because i'm only five foot three and a half but anyway <laughs> there you go it must have been something in his milk <laughs> because he he he's very bright which a lot of people with autism are has a higher than average iq and because he was tall his autism just wasn't recognized. It was, you know, because it wasn't like he was in a wheelchair or people could see it, they thought it wasn't there. So, and because he was big for his age, expectations were higher because he looked older than he was. He had absolutely no idea how to read people. There was no social cognition. He couldn't read social cues. He couldn't, he would play alongside other children when he was little, but not with them. He couldn't role play. He couldn't do any of that. And I mean, now he can do all of those things. He's busted mm. all of those myths. So anyway, at nine years old, I finally, after lots and lots of battling, got a diagnosis. And I never told Ollie that's why you were going to the hospital. I said, oh, you know, it's just a checkup. Because throughout, I knew I just wanted him to be Ollie. And my background at that time was I had married really, really quickly after coming out of university. And it was only ever my, my second ever boyfriend. Time, times were different. And um, and I married him really, really, really quickly, far too quickly. 
and the marriage was extremely abusive on all levels. Luckily, he was away a lot, so we could get up to mischief. Me and the children, it was fab. We made so much magic. But that was the background. So for me, getting that diagnosis of autism for Ollie, and I'm not preaching to anybody because we all have to do what's right for our children. And just as, you know, if you had 10 people in a room with the flu, they haven't all got identical personalities or situations. And it's exactly the same with autism. Autism is just a trait of who, you know, part of what people are. So me knowing that Ollie had autism and knowing my very dangerous background I was living against, and I am allowed to say this because he's been charged and he's serving time for this. I'm really embarrassed to say that, but he is, but I just didn't want you to worry about anything legally. So he's in a very safe place, thanks to the Queen. And, um, so I knew that because my background was a very, very difficult and dangerous one, and we were living on our wits a lot of the time, having to be very industrious, very tenacious, I knew that I absolutely couldn't afford to, to cushion Ollie and wrap him up in this little world because he was autistic. I didn't even tell him he had autism until he was 13 years old when I knew he'd have to have mainstream exams and, and that would be difficult for him. And that's the only reason why I ever told him. I wanted him to grow up just being Ollie. You know, as I said, autism is just a trait of who he is. And although there are challenges, there are also incredible gifts with that. The same as all human beings. We all have a special need at certain times. We all have strengths. We all have challenges. And because, and I don't mean to sound dramatic, this is just how I was living, because on at least four occasions, I nearly lost my life. I had to know that whatever happened to me, Ollie, because he autism isn't something you have written on your head, you know, people can't see it, it's invisible until you actually spend time with them, you know, high functioning autism. I knew I had to get him to cope and to function and navigate a mainstream world, not just a mainstream school. So his gift was writing. And I really, really, really celebrated that. And he was in gifted and talented throughout first school. So words and books became his friends because he didn't have a social life. Ink was in his veins. Words were his friends. He was passionate and still is about books. He's so well read. And if you don't mind, could I read out a six line poem he wrote when he was 12? Of course. Sure. sure. If yeah. I keep talking, stop me, because honestly, I can talk for <laughs> England and America and Italy. It's not a problem. <laughs> anyway, he was given a task. And I mean, he writes fabulous poetry, but he was given a task. And and bearing in mind with autism, generally, and uh, it sounds horrible to generalise, but very often people with autism don't really like the unexpected to be flung in. That is, mm. It's a bit difficult. And it was for Ollie. So anything he wasn't expecting, mm. he would struggle with. But he was given this assignment in English. It was Valentine's Day. And as I say, Ollie was 12. So it was his last year of middle school. And the challenge was write a love poem to a fly. I mean, I wouldn't even know where to start. Ollie, within 10 minutes, produced this poem. And his teacher rang me in tears on, on the break. It's just, just six lines long. And this is what he wrote. I am the fume that lives in your clothes. I am an irritation of love beneath your skin. I come in swarms like a flock of birds. A mist to your eyes, you see a plague of love in me. I am a grain of the dark sky scattered on the stars. Within you is the fly. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? The depth, yeah. Well, 
he joined a mainstream college. I've never named the college or the teachers involved. I never will, because I'm hoping that Ollie's journey since then is a learning for them. And that's his biggest triumph. And we're not vengeful people. Not only that, I didn't want to localise and be spiteful. I, I just I just didn't want to belittle what is actually a national, if not international, problem in how autism and mental health in general is seen in schools and in the world. So Ollie joined. If I can interrupt for, for, for just a second, that there yes. was that, there was that you, you you had people telling you that he'd never be able to do anything. Well, what happened was he was gifted and talented in middle school. Yeah. He he had two weeks in the top set English class at the mainstream college, and his lowest grade was a B for all his assignments in that time. So, which is still really really high. It was mostly A's and A stars. So he went into school, and this was so cruel. He walked into the classroom and the teacher said, I'm sorry, Ollie, you, you're not in this class anymore. You have to go to the bottom set English, which is in room, whatever it was. Ollie couldn't navigate timetables. This was an absolutely brutal, unexpected shock. Mm. So all of these things combined, he was just stunned and humiliated and heartbroken. So he joined the bottom set English and I instantly went in and I said, look at his records through middle school. He's got A stars and A's. 1B, that's all, since he's joined the college. Why are you putting him in bottom set English? So they organised a meeting for me to attend, and I thought it was with the head of English. And when I walked into the room, there were eight teachers. So, And unfortunately, because the room was small, they were all behind tables in a curve, and I was in front of them in a chair with no desk. So they didn't plan it like that. It wasn't, it just You can obviously imagine it was like talking to a wall, and actually it was. It, it was a wall. Yeah. And to cut a long story short, I absolutely, I begged, I've only ever begged twice in my whole life. And I begged and I read Ollie's poem, The Fly, that I've just read to you. And I said, don't do this to him. It will destroy him. If you put him in bottom set English, you're not just removing his present, but you're removing his future because his dream since he was seven years old has been to go to university and do English. And I remember the head of English turned to me and she said, Oliver has autism he will never achieve and the most you can ever hope for is two two exams two gcses in english in england sorry and i knew this wasn't true so i took it up to the next level county i took it right up to county level somerset county um the special needs coordinator had told me that the lady i need to speak to wouldn't speak to people like me that she only would speak with schools so i thought well i'm going to take my sandwiches along i've done this twice before <laughs> I take it really knows about this because yeah. I did it when I got my book deal. <laughs> I'm a little bit cheeky. So I took my sandwiches along in a book. I thought, no one can arrest me for eating sandwiches and reading a book. And the receptionist said to me, who have you come here to see? And I said the lady's name. And by absolute blessing, she happened to walk into reception at that moment. And she said, well, I'm, I'm Eileen McHale. So I told her Ollie's story, showed her his poems, and she... Um, instantly, instantly gave me the funding for Ollie to be in top set English, but just access things like the reading comprehension and lining up booklets, things he couldn't do in a different format. So I had the funding and I was thrilled. So I went back, they still wouldn't put Ollie in top set English. And I said, well, what's happened to his funding? And I don't know if this happens in America, but in England, this happens. So it's a really important thing to share. Funding, when you get funding for your child in England, 
it does not come with your child's name on the pot. It's put into a big melting pot of everybody and it is not spent on your child. So I always share this because I say to people, it's legal, it's not ethical, but if you get funding for your child, which you will have to really fight for because they don't like to give it in England, you, it's a fight. It can take a year just to get an EHCP, an individual education plan. Yeah. So um, when you get that funding through, hold the school or academy accountable and make sure they spend it on your child so you do not have to go through the heartbreak that Ollie and I went through because I had to come back then and tell him, I'm sorry, Ollie, I don't know another way forwards. For the first time in my life, I'm stumped. I don't know what to do. And I always remember that day we told him and my oldest son, James, was with me. And we told him, and he was grey. He was grey. Just, I've never seen that colour on a human being. And he just very slowly, he just looked at us and he went, but he wasn't focusing on us. It was like he wasn't in his body. And he just said, that's okay. And he went upstairs. And James and I, my oldest son, didn't even need to speak to each other. We just knew. And I just, I don't know the exact moment, but both of us started sprinting up the stairs. And when we got to Ollie's room, because my house is on three floors and Ollie's room is right at the top. When we got there, Ollie was in the fetal position, rocking. And there was blood streaming down his right arm. And I noticed his window had been punched out. And this is the most gentle, non he's terrified of violence. Don't forget our background was that. So he was terrified of that. So this is how desperate he was. This is what they'd done to him. They had, well, he was rocking. He was rocking. It was awful. And he was repeating over and over again, I'm disabled, aren't I, mummy? I'm broken. And, and the sounds that came from him were, were animalistic. It was primal. I mean, it wasn't, it was sobbing, but it, it you know, it when retching, you that retching. Or yeah. donkeys, donkeys make that sound, don't they? And it's, it was like that. He sounded like an animal. It was primal grief. And it was the worst sound I've ever heard from any of my children. And I got on the floor with Ollie. And funnily enough, I started massaging him. I had my hands around his face and I said, look at me, Ollie, look at me. Come back, get back in the room, get back in your body. Yeah. Look at me. And he was focusing on me and I said, do not ever say the word disabled to me again. You are not disabled. You are differently abled and your gifts are tremendous and we're going to fight. And I began my massage work at that point with Ollie to try that and... That was the start of it? That was <laughs> the first bit. Get and um, within six weeks... The progress Ollie made was so tremendous. Um, and, and just to put you in the picture, I'd actually had my foot broken in three places and my ex-husband had gone away for, for weeks and I had 50 pounds, 50 pounds to survive on. So I thought, right. So I rang up my best friend. This is quite funny and it's the absolute truth. I waited for the bin men to come along, you know, that take all the garbage away, take the, the rubbish away. And I, I, I waited on the bottom step of my path and I said, could I please throw my crutch in your big munchy thing, you know, at the back of the truck where you throw in the rubbish? Sorry, I'm not very technical about a transport. Um, and they said, well, we're not really supposed to take things like that. I said, OK, health and safety or something. I said, what about if I throw it in? And they went, yeah, you can do that. And I remember <laughs> lobbing it into the back of that truck and watching it be munched. Yeah. And the duck, we were all cheering. It was so funny. So then I had to wait for them to go away because I'd only broken my foot three days, four days before and I was in agony. I was in agony. So I crawled very undignified up my path back into my house and I rang up my best friend and I said, 
right, could you please bring me the highest dose ibuprofen and some spray tan? And she said, and a pair of your shoes. And she said, Juliana, what are you doing now? I said, I'll explain when you get here. So she got to my house. My, my foot looked like a winter cabbage. It was just purple and green and swollen. So I put spray tan on that because I'm vain. And on the other one, <laughs> this is the absolute truth. I then put on her shoes because I'm only a size five and she's a seven. So I could fit my big swollen broken foot in her shoe. And then she had to help me. It was so undignified into a pair of bootleg jeans, you know, that flare a bit at the bottom. Yeah. And that woman, honestly, I love her to bits. She drove me to all the schools in my local area and I worked for free every single day for eight hours a day. And sometimes I'd be kneeling behind the students and I would be crying. I'd, I'd be crying silently, you know, in, with the sheer pain. I don't know how I got through it. So, but with, yeah. within six weeks, I was being paid because no one had ever heard of this work. I said, it's worked on my son. You've got to give this a chance. It's for free. You make your own records and your own judgments. And that was the start of the Indian head the massage. Yeah. I, I have a question. Can I, can yeah. I yeah. chime in? Just because um, I... I I'm listening to you. My sister has a son who has uh, Asperger's. And... Yeah, same as Ollie. Okay, so here's the thing. The kid is incredibly bright. Um, yeah. He is annoying. As, he is annoying. He's a teenager, <laughs> I, I, is he? <laughs> he's, 24, he's 24, but, oh, okay. but he's really like, he's figured out a way to start navigating his life, right? He wants to live in Manhattan or no, Brooklyn. He's become an or he's become an Orthodox Jew, um, where our family has nothing to do. You know, we're not Orthodox. You're um, reformed, right? Reformed. Not even not even reformed, but I mean, we're 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 there. But but what's interesting about my nephew is, is that he found a community with the Orthodox, and they take him in and they accept him. And there's a lot of structure there for him all that, the that's time. That's why he loves it. That's he part of the reason it. why he loves it. The the ritual of having the ability to uh what's the word I'm looking for? To 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 have that um belonging. You know, the belonging. And so yeah. but my sister, you know, they would take family vacations, but they would do things that he didn't like to do. Right? They so they didn't have the patience nor the dedication, the fight for him so they just basically say oh well he's got special needs so it becomes almost like a crutch for my sister yes. and I, I never allowed ollie to i know and we always my situation. and so he's in this place right now where he wants to break away from his mom and move to new york he's he's going to graduate college he's going to wow. go to grad Good school for him. social work in spite of my sister Right. My sister couldn't be the worst person in the world for him because because she's very dedicated to him. But she she can't like it's like she can't say you can be anything you want to be. And you oh, can. Yeah. yeah. Right. And so I hear you talking and I'm like, you're dedicated and you're fighting and being an advocate for your child. Right. In this. And you're not letting the labels now it's for everyone's Fine. child. Right. It's you for don't everyone's let, child now. Right, right, yeah. right. You don't put the labels on him. You make him believe that he can do this, you know, Absolutely. and I see. Labels are you know, dumb jobs, not people. That, labels that's are, something that we've talked about on the show before is that, you know, labels, you're, you're much more than a label, you know. I mean, you're, you're much you more. 
much, much more. But, but people get put into categories and it's difficult to break out at times. Yeah, it is. And you get boxed in. And I have a friend who has developmental, um, not developmental disability. She's got um, she's in a wheelchair and she will go to hockey games by herself in her wheelchair you know she'll go to the boston garden by herself she'll take the subway she does everything right she doesn't use it as a a, um a hindrance but what, what i've learned is is that is it the world is the problem and the way the systems are set up for people with autism or you know is it more about you know like if, if, if things were adjusted better to people with autism, then maybe it wouldn't be as big of an issue, not an issue, but you know what I'm saying? Like, like I do. I yeah, adaptability, we need more, you know, there should be a more adaptability in the world. And inclusion. And inclusion. Right. You yes. Yeah. And a much greater level of expectation around people with different abilities. There was that, that's what kills me. That's why now I've got millions of children because I see that around them all the time from teachers who, and it's not their fault. It comes from government level that the edu the education, it's, no, it's not good enough just to be aware. You have to be educated about things and, and it should be part of all teacher training. You know, we, we talk about an autism global crisis. It's not a global crisis. It's a massive opportunity to learn. In the UK, at least three children per class have autism. You know, they need to be included. They have gifts. They have passions. If you look at the positive growth mindset, the first question with that is, what is your passion? But even that is called fixations, obsessions. Even our language around that is negative, and it shouldn't be, because when you find someone's passion, you've got them. And that was true of Ollie in his writing. And when the school did that to him, I sent off his work. I was like the worst stalker on the planet. I'm amazed I wasn't arrested. I found addresses of so many authors and entrepreneurs. And I, to this day, I have two big A4 box files. I've had to put elastic bands around them because they're bursting of all the replies from all the different authors when I sent them all Ollie's poetry. And, and do you know what? So many of them were saying, Ollie, you're a writer already. We were not writing like you at 12 years old. And others were saying, don't let school define you. And mm -hmm. that, that was... If you imagine Ollie on the Titanic, that 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 was the that was his life raft. That that saved his life. That Let me ask you a question. I, I'm sorry. I, I, so one of the other questions I have is, do you find that, you know, because you hear about kids that have autism and the parents are not patient at all. They can't. Mm -hmm. They really struggle with raising a kid with autism. Yeah. And I understand that. But it sounds like you almost need a. It's almost like a sense of you, you personally have to have a sense of self in order to be able to be the advocate for your child, right? You don't respond yeah. to, you're not responding to, well, I'm ashamed or I'm embarrassed that my child has this. You know what I, I mean? I couldn't like, be prouder. What's that? I, could, I couldn't, couldn't be, prouder. be prouder. Right, right. And that's that's the point, right? Like you, you've, you, you feel you know, like he's my child, he's an extension of me. I'm fighting for him because yeah. I don't want to see him suffer, right? So it's almost like it's almost like a parent almost has to find, and just in my opinion, an inner peace to, or an inner strength in order to be able to to do yeah. that. And I'm wondering but, if 
that's a struggle for a lot of parents out there. Do you know, it was a struggle for me. And just, you know, I, I wasn't born with all this. I, you know, I didn't start my journey with Ollie with all this information. Mm. You know, I did struggle. And and I'm really ashamed to say this, but I'm, go I'm going to be honest because I have to do things with integrity. But mm. when I got the diagnosis for Ollie when he was nine, I cried because this A word, autism, was terrifying because of all the stigma surrounding it and a massive part of my work around autism special needs mental health is to remove that stigma mm -hmm. and to raise the level of expectations and to actually change your neurological pathways and the gray matter in your brain to shrink the gray matter around the fear centers and to boost it around memory and learning mm -hmm. and and those those higher brain functions which you can do and i tell all the kids i work with don't let teachers define you. Don't let anybody define you. You Your define you. physically stops growing at 18, but it's like a muscle and you can challenge it and grow it and grow bits and shrink bits. And it's yours to do with what you want. And, and you can you can develop your strengths. You can be who you want to be because you are in charge of your brain and you are. And, and just because we surrounded Ollie with that belief and believe you me, I had massive heartbreaks. Moments, I remember going into my therapy chalet before I turned it into a therapy chalet and wailing wailing with grief because I didn't know who to I had no support whatsoever my family lived 250 miles away my ex-husband was often absent Yay! sorry and um <laughs> you know, so I had no support I learned on the job and I fought as I went and I made mistakes and I learned from them. And that's why I do so much public speaking for free, because I don't want any other family to go through what I went through with Ollie. And I share that knowledge I've gained to help. But interestingly, there are some families I work with. And when they see their child begin to bloom and develop. Um, oh, how can I put this without sounding awful? Um, it scares them. It takes away their control. They, they, they want their child to remain where, yeah. you know, because that's what I'm saying. It's a, like having yeah. a child with that label. That's it's a projection of them. It's like, I don't know because I've been through so much with my child. I can't go back to saying, oh, my child can actually go off and make yeah. it on his own or have the ability yeah. to, to make it on his own. You know, I think the thing we see around here too is when you first get the diagnosis, you get you get some some families that want to hide it. You know, they want to hide it. No, that can't be true. And you know, no, yep. that's not the way it is. And yes. you know, there's a denial factor because yep. because of trying to up, you know, trying to live up to an image. And my image. sister yes, has had yeah. thing again. Well, that's, that's my sister. Much. She can't she can't she'll be like, Oh, he drives me crazy, this and that. And I'm like, Well, but he wants, but he's, you know, but he's a grown up. But yet your dynamic between the two of you is so codependent, um, codependent that, you know, yeah. people said to him, you, you're married to your mother. Right. And I'm like, I'm like, if you don't leave, right, you're going to be living with your mother till you're whenever. So you're going to have to, you know, you can do it. You know, you can go out and do it. You navigate the New York City subway system wow. you know and you know how to do it right you 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 try new things you you know you're you're actively applying to grad school you know you're you're doing things and so don't let your mother um keep you in that box 
Exactly. Uh, and, and sometimes, and I know this is a really shocking thing to say, but I, I'm thinking of one girl in particular who I work with, and she's got the most tremendous gifts for writing, for cooking. She's really fantastic at IT, and she's really grows and blooms, and she's always stopped by her mum. And it comes from a loving place. Of course. It, it's it's not a healthy love, if you know what I mean. And I, I don't get everything right, so I you know I feel awful saying that. But I remember one day this girl saying to me, I need to speak to you in private. I'm so frustrated. I can do all these things and mum won't let me. Mum doesn't believe me. I can't talk to her. And I actually thought in my head, you know what? Your autism is not your disability. Your mum is. And that's, that's what I said. So her, my sister yells at me. Why would you tell him this? He's tried it twice. It didn't work for him. I said, so we can try again. Now. Right. I said, don't we all try? I mean, you keep, you know, sometimes you, you figure it out. It's like, I didn't do it right this time. I didn't do it right this time, but I can do it right the next time. Yeah. And she and gets really annoyed. The beginning of learning. When you look yes. at that positive growth mindset, failure in inverted commas, mistakes, that's where you learn. That's where Absolutely. I've learned all, most of my knowledge is through making some of the, mistakes and learning. Some of the most process. successful businessmen I've ever met were, were, were people that had one or two businesses that failed. And each time they yeah. weren't. You what learn needed to do and what not to do. And then they finally that third business took off. But. Failure is a failure is not who you are. Failure is not who you are. It's something that happens to you with something. That it's, you a do. it's a process. Right. And it's yeah. like, OK, I learned this. Well, this is the way I'm going to do this. Right. Some people are experiential learners. I'm an experiential learner. I you tell me not to touch the stove. I'm going to touch the stove. Right? <laughs> Just because you told me not to touch the stove, I'm going to do it. People learn in different ways. I'll get burned and I might do it again. And then I'm like, all right, I'm not going to I'm not going to do that anymore. But I need to experience that. So tell us about Rainbow Kids and kind of how you've transferred all this great stuff you've done with Ollie to how have you changed it into and turned it into a way to help uh, um, others, others. Others. Yeah. Well, that's easy to answer very, very quickly in my battle for Ollie. And it was a battle. I realized there were so many other kids like him either continually being excluded or desperately trying to function in the day, which is what Ollie used to do, but they'd slip under the radar and drown and pick up ex additional mental health issues. And kids with different abilities are naturally born with higher levels of cortisone, the stress hormone, and they're two to six times more likely to pick up an additional mental health issue with boys being twice as likely as girls. So these are really sensitive statistics. And you were talking about just now suicide, you know, in America, in England between since lockdown. So March 2020 to October in six months, suicide has gone up 39%. That's huge. That's phenomenal. So yeah. as I was working with Ollie, I realized all, already that this was going on for a lot of kids and a lot of families. And I thought, you know, Ollie has arrived in my life as a massive blessing. You know, I'm learning so much. This surely can't just be our own little selfish journey in a way. You know, this, it quickly encompassed lots of children. So going back to when I started my business for free initially, because nobody had ever heard of this and I needed to prove it. And I'm a rubbish businesswoman. I shouldn't say that, but I am. <laughs> so I did it for free. Six weeks later, I was being paid. And within six months, I had massive waiting lists and I couldn't physically pack in 
all the schools. I'd gone off to Belgium to train um, a, a, a charities out there. It was incredible how it took off. And it helped me be free because I hid the money in the curtain linings. Yeah. So I got free. It was fab. <laughs> anyway, that aside, um, my work in schools really started to spread. And some children didn't want the touch. And I always think every child has a song. Every child has a gift that's unique to them. And I will find it. And in 11 years of working, sometimes seven days a week, 18-hour days are normal for me, 19-hour days, I have learned so much and I will always find a way to meet that child where they are at. Mm. It's not about making them meet me where I'm at. This is about them. So from the office empowering and those brainwaves, those neurological pathways that they're in charge, they're empowered, that they're being made. Because if you give a child in a relaxed, child is in a relaxed or playful state, a message six times, four to six times, the little dendrites on the end of the, you know, that make the neurological pathways come apart and reform a positive pathway. So I studied tons and tons of neuroscience because I wanted to ground these therapies in mm -hmm. science because it's the only way I could kick open the doors in the school and get them to listen to me that this was not about well-being. This was about the memory in your water, the memory in your cells, neurological pathways, getting into the hard drive and all coming from this positive mindset place. It underlines all my therapies. So I trained up in lots of different therapies and I thought, well, if a child doesn't like touch, I can show them how to do it on themselves, which I'm doing a lot of at the moment with Corona, with COVID. Um, but there's also yoga, which, which pushes out all the happy hormones and coping chemicals from the gut, helps you to breathe properly. Because a lot of our kids with different abilities, are either mouth breathers or they're reverse breathers. In other words, when they breathe in, their tummies go in. So that also activates the stress hormone. So yoga gets them, to, their tummies to come out when they breathe in, to open up the diaphragm. You know, mindfulness, gratitude. You mentioned PTSD earlier. Um, the leading scientist in this field, Robert A. Emmons, PhD, he's an amazing man. I absolutely love his work. And he has actually worked with veterans back from, you know, from Vietnam. So he's done studies for years and he's well worth looking up. Um, and he he actually proved that if you do three practices of gratitude, three things that you're thankful for every day, you immediately increase your serotonin, your happiness, confidence, self-esteem hormone by 16%. And he has used this to turn veterans with PTSD back from, you know, Vietnam, other war zones. He's actually helped adjust the gray matter to shrink it around the amygdala, the emotional brain, the fear center. He has actually proven you can shrink that with gratitude. He's done all this neuroimaging MRI scans and you can boost it around memory and learning and your frontal lobe, which is all your higher brain functions, you know, seeing consequences, good judgment, self-awareness, self-management, all these important, you know, things that we need as human beings to survive. So I use lots and lots of mindfulness and gratitude. And I've just expanded. The more I've learned about neuroscience, the more I've learned about therapies and looked into what it does and, and how you know, this is rooted in science and you can actually, children are made of 90% water. As adults, full grown adults, we're made of between 68 and 78% water. And water 
as Dr. Mas Emoto Masuro proved, sorry, the other way around, Masuro Emoto proved, Japanese scientist, he did lots of studies on water. He wrote a book, it was a best, it was a New York bestseller, New York Times bestseller, The Hidden Messages of Water. And again, this is all about putting positive messages into these children who are made up of so much water. And he proved, Dr. Emoto, that water carries memory. Our cells in all our bodies carry memories. We've got- I have read, I have read that. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. So, yeah. so you hear- so the therapies encompass all of that. And I have seen amazing things. And my first thing I ever want to find out about child, the first thing I ever say to them is, what is your passion? Don't ask them about school. I don't ask them about any of that because most of our learning is outside of four walls anyway. I say, what are you really good at? What is your passion? First question of the positive growth mindset. Once you've got that, I can weave it into story massages, yoga stories, story making with pebbles. You know, there's so many ways to bring their passion in and start to get them feeling, you know. I just saw like, one that you did on YouTube also. Oh God. It, it, <laughs> My it was a story massage. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love so that though. Yeah. I, I love that. And but do you do you see this applying to, you know, I'm sitting there thinking about in the in the work environment, right? With corporate yeah. America. And I I've worked with some real doozy bosses, right? I'm I'm telling you, like really like really not well. Right. And do you see that there's a place for this in corporate America where, you know, um, you know for adults? Yeah. For for for, you know, for for corporations who say, you know what, we you know, we there's different types of learning. Right. Because that's yes. what it sounds like. There's yeah. you know people learn differently and one size does not fit all. Absolutely not. You know, so how do you, so do you feel like it's almost like it would be incumbent upon a leader, a boss, or, um, a, you know, a, a manager to really start to learn how to individualize? Yes. Build individuals, build a team. Right. Be open to learning, be open to new ideas. Right. Absolutely. Not somebody who dictates. Uh, right. My wife right. always says, she goes, she goes, you know, Regardless of the money that you're getting paid, the most important thing for you, because I, I have, um, I don't know what my issues are, but I have, my wife will say, um, you need to be working for somebody who gets you. Yeah. You know, that, that, you know, more important, most importantly, you need to, if you were working for somebody, you need to work for somebody who gets you and understands you. And I think that's a very rare, not rare, but. Sadly, it is rare. And, you know, it should be commonplace. It yeah. should be. And I take all my therapies from Rainbow Kids. I take it into the corporate workplace and I do team building. You do. Yeah. Tell, tell us about Rainbow Kids. I mean, yeah. Oh, rainbow! Yeah, well, I, I sort of transfer it to adults too, but they don't know they're doing rainbow kids, like older rainbow kids. Okay, it's, I call it team yeah. building phase, and it's so interesting when you get real people who are in real conflict. They've actually I've heard them say to each other at the end of these days that I do, "Wow, I just see you so differently," mm. and it is about team building. But going back to rainbow kids, it's it's reinforcing what you've said about working for people who get you, and we should all get each other so i'm holding space for those kids in however they want whichever way they want me to do it 
I meet them. And everything I do within Rainbow Kids is an invitation. If we do an activity or I've invented a crazy game, because I'm mm -hmm. always thinking with different activities and different things to do, I'll start them off, but they own it. So they will, you know, say we're doing, I don't know, I made up one recently with Jenga blocks and we were writing down positive mindset questions. You know, what would you do if you failed at that? How could you make your biggest strength even stronger? What did you learn from someone today? Mm -hmm. Give a compliment to the person on your left, you know. So I started them off with a few things and then they were writing things, you know, what do you do when you feel angry? Is it okay to feel angry? Well, yes, it is. You know, Rainbow Kids is not all about fluff. We sit with grief. We sit with anger, we sit with confusion, we sit with chaos on the Zoom sessions through Corona. Mm -hmm. You know, we sit with those things. Yeah, it's okay to be angry sometimes. It's righteous anger. So we we face our emotions. What's not good is being an angry person, you know, and they know the difference. So it's really, it's emotionally intelligent and socially intelligent. And these are life skills. So what, what I love- Yeah, that's what attracted me to your work and stuff too, is because you, you can take what you're doing and apply it to adults. It's, you know- Absolutely, and, yeah, absolutely, I mean, 100%. <laughs> and I love it the most when I take it in on teacher inset training days, because I really feel, and this isn't in an arrogant way at all, I've worked so hard at this. And I just really am there to support the teachers because, Everybody has a pop at the teachers, but they haven't had the adequate training. It's government level that needs to be addressed. I'm on my way there, by the way. I'm determined. Remember, I've said this on air now, so it's true. I've got to do it. I'll take my sandwiches again in a book, but I'm going to have a word because they need to realise this. And the, this one side, this awful sausage factory, this exam system does not help people bloom. It doesn't. And our kids are not all clones. And, you know, I've kind of transitioned now from picking up the pieces of broken children to actually really wanting to go right to the top with this now. And I'm determined. I'm like a little ball bearing. I may be tiny, but honestly, when I'm determined, I'm, I'm like a dog with a bone. And BBC, I will get there. BBC. I will get there because <laughs> we need to stop our children being broken in the first place. Mm. You know, I read somewhere once, it's much easier to build a child than to repair a broken adult. You look at all the people who are in therapy. Being, That's a well, great line. I want to. I want to. I want to bring. I want to talk. That was my next question, from an addiction standpoint, and yep. I'll throw to you both of you. Um, how? Imp I mean, this is like probably the root of all everything, right here. It is. I yeah. mean, in yeah. my opinion, like, yeah. like if you don't learn as a child how to cope and process things exactly. that come your way you're gonna want to like well, well andy i don't I, I don't know how many times i've said on the show you know you show me someone that's been in the detox five ten fifteen times i'll show you a mental health piece that's not getting addressed of course yes, when it just I, focuses I just on the addiction it just right it's like okay how do i how do you cope right how do i process life's curveballs right how, how do you do that because it, it's going to come the curveball, right? Everybody, like I said at the beginning of the show, everybody has a special need at some point. Yeah, everybody absolutely. does. Yeah, right. And you have to, you have to, um, you know, I, I go through it all the time. I'm actively trying to learn how to process stuff because I'm trying to deprogram everything I learned in childhood. Everything. Yes. <laughs> because I didn't yeah. get, you know, that 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 special like getting people getting me teachers didn't get me they're like what's wrong with him let's put him in a special, special ed i'm like 
I'm freaking brilliant. No, I'm just yeah. tooting my own horn. But I'm- it's like the professor that I had in graduate school, and he said, you know, some people they can be really good people, but they suck as parents. You know, they just don't know what yeah. they're doing. You know? Right, right. And, and so, um, where can people if if people want to get in touch with you? I know you're in England, so you really can't. Um- no, I speak to people all over the world. That's why I do 19 hour days, and I love it. I'm on fire <laughs> with it. So anyone can get hold of me. I just want to help. That's all I want to do is just help. I love it. When it comes to addictions, just remember, really remember, you are in charge of your brain. And it's those messages and those patterns you're putting in there. And you can change that. And, And any good therapist will help you do that and empower you yeah well that's exactly that's exactly we talked about it last week with stephanie you know i i know that you know in my own life you know my struggles a lot were um you know not uh addressing the the things but i needed it i wanted it right i wanted to you know i was 32 i looked in the mirror i'm like i'm broken alone and miserable how do i fix this right how what do i do to fix this, how do I transform my life? So, I, or I was 30, whatever, and I saw a doctor who really helped me address my anxiety and depression and ADD, right? It's and, awful, anxiety is the biggest one, but that's the real disability out of all of that. Right, and, and, and so the COVID, I can't imagine how people um, who maybe don't have a great relationship or a marriage or whatever, and they're working on top of each other and they're spending so much time with each other. I can't imagine if that's not good. I know. Awful life must The be. dog is the buffer. The dog is the buffer. Right, because you get on each other's nerves, right? It's like, what did the dog do today? Let's did the dog walk, poop? Charlie. Did Come the on. dog poop? Well, yeah. You know, that's yeah. the question. I think you get older, you start, did the dog poop? What did the dog do today? You know, and so you... <laughs> The thing I like about what Juliana's done is with, with Juliana, you know, you, 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 you hear people, you know, always, always talking about think outside the box, think outside the box. Juliana, you, you basically created, you created your own box, you know, and yep. you got your own. Got no lid. Cause I'm always bursting out and thinking. There you go. Yeah. Love it. No, you're, you're, you're awesome. Yeah. You're awesome. Thank you so much for coming on today. Can you give people uh, your website or more information, how they can get, engage with you but can i just tell you the it's not the end of ollie's story it's the beginning of his yeah, journey. yeah 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 really really quickly he has now done his degree and he did it in creative writing and publishing at his first choice university he's now done his master's so he is more qualified than all eight of the teachers who sat me in the room that day and told me he would never achieve. Mic drop, mic drop on that one, right? Logical programming. And he's just about to begin his uh, PhD. So he's going to be my little professor, well, my big Professor Ollie. (laughs) There you go. So this is a kid who was labeled as Asperger's. I don't, I don't know. And, and turned it into this, right? So, because he didn't accept what people told him. And And you know something, he was so unwell mentally when they took his um, English away from him, they, they he nearly did break. And in our darkest hour, we were going through the worst of what we were going through at home. But Ollie was, he was nearly broken. And we had this amazing psychiatrist who came and Ollie was being tested for psychosis. He was suicidal. It was horrific what he was going through. It was, it, it, it was horrific. And um, anyway, this psychiatrist at the end, when Ollie did his exams, oh, let me share something else. 
which might be really important. Okay. Meaning, I, I actually discovered, because I would never take no for an answer, if somebody said no, I would change it into not yet. If somebody said impossible, I'd change it into I'm possible, like Audrey Hepburn. So I would always find a way. No was just, okay, I'm I'm getting outside this box again. And I found out that it's a human right for a young adult to sit their exams in any place they choose, so long as they have an invigilator and an examiner there. And the school was shocked that I knew this. The college was shocked. And they said, no, 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 that isn't true. I said, yes, it is. And I printed it off for them. So I went to see the examinations officer and I said, you let me spend Ollie's funding elsewhere. And he looked a bit embarrassed. I said, I I know it was legal, but it's not very nice, was it, what you did to my boy? How about you use a little bit of the funding now from your big pot to let Ollie do his exams in the therapy chalet? And that's what Ollie did. So that's something worth sharing if anyone's told you. Awesome. And I, I, I just wanted to also say, to your point, I don't know if you've read the book, The Element, and there's a, it's about finding your tribe in life. And, and one of the thing, and one of the things that they talk about, which was really helpful for me, was there was a woman, a young lady who her parents couldn't understand what was wrong with her, right? They, they, they didn't know she had learning disabilities, they couldn't figure it out. So they enrolled her in a special school. And they tried to enroll her in a special school and they were talking to the administrator, the admissions office. And the young girl was like dancing and looking out the window and just dancing. And that was her passion. Yeah. And they said to her, they said to the parents, your daughter doesn't have a learning disability. She's a dancer and she should be in a school of performing. Yeah. And in a school of performing arts. So this young lady ended up going to work with Andrew Lloyd Webber on plays. Oh I forgot her name. Goodness. Yeah. And so, but it was kind of like she, um, you know, it's like adapt. said so the adapting of, you know, it's like, don't, you know, it's like if, if you go, if your kid goes to a public, you know, or is in some kind of developmental disability class or something, it's like, that's the easy thing to just put that kid there, right? That's yeah. the, the easy part of it. But the truth is, there's more to that. Absolutely. Oh my God, Absolutely there's more. so much more to Story. Yeah. Well, this has been awesome. I hope you uh, enjoyed. Oh my God, I've loved it. Okay, just good. Just really mega quickly, I promise I'll be quick. Yeah, no, no, you're no, good. <laughs> the, the messages and how you form those pathways. You think about our language surrounding different abilities, autistic spectrum disorder, attention deficit, disorder what's that about yeah. it's differences it's not disabilities it's differences and you know some of our most amazing people who have changed the world in music art technology you know yeah. einstein edison mozart they were all on the autism spectrum absolutely so- uh, you know what and here's the thing uh, like for add what i've learned in my old age is Older, older, older age. I can manage. I'm a project. I can manage projects, yeah. right? Yeah. I can manage projects because I'm like flipping the channels, right? Let's see what's on this channel. Let's see what's on this channel. Let's see. So it allows me to not be bored, keep my structure in the fact that I'm, you know, involved with so many different projects because, you know, like, like I got to do the, you know, it's like, I want to learn. I'm curious. I want a, yes. Yeah. It's that positive mindset again. Right. Everybody should be flicking all the channels in life. You know, it's not about destination. It's that journey of learning at, at all ages. And it's fantastic. 
I think he'd just be going. Fantastic. Will you come back again? Will you come back again? Oh, please. I'd love it so much. Okay. Love to have Awesome. Thank you. Well, thank you, Juliana Wheaton. And uh, well, what's Reader. a quick website that you can go to for you? It's um, www.therapiesforspecialneeds.co.uk. And I don't make any money from my YouTube channel, so I'm not plugging anything. But um, um, I have got this YouTube channel where I do things for adults and children, all different therapies that you can access during lockdown. They're really relaxing to watch. They're really relaxing to watch, trust me. Sorry, they're a bit unscripted. I never watched them back. But that's Rainbow Kids Touch Therapy. Juliana Wheater, Rainbow Kids Touch Therapy. But it's for all ages. And And the book is on Amazon, right? It's on Amazon. (laughs) But just to warn you, it's under Juliana Fennick, which was my married name. So you can tipex that bit out. All right. Excellent. Okay. Thank you. So that's our show for the week. Thanks to Juliana Weeder across the pond in the UK. Thank you. And Willie Drinkwater, of course. I'll be in touch. Be in touch. And thanks to Mike Weber back at Mission Control at Foxborough Cable Access Television. That's the map. And we will catch you all next week. Thank you very much. Thank you. Bye bye. Our, our pleasure. There's the music. We got it.